0: Hi, welcome to fizz Gig. I'm Wendy Althwaite and I admit to being fascinated by fizz, the taste, the tingle, and most importantly, the trivia. Do join me. We'll explore the myths and the mysteries of the world's greatest sparkling wines. Full disclosure here, I produce English sparkling wine in West Sussex myself, but this podcast is not about our wine in particular, Or even about English sparkling wine in general. It's about the scintillating world of effervescence. I'll pop a cork and cast a pod every Friday and I do hope you'll be with me. Don't forget to listen out for the pudding at the end. It's a little tidbit that, whilst not strictly on point, amuses me. Pop it in your goodie bag as a little fact to take away. So here we go. TGI Fizz Day. And today we're going to talk about the Spanish fizz, cava. I say Spanish, technically it's producible in an area around a third of Spain, but in fact 95% of it comes from Catalonia in the Penedès region. It closely tracks champagne in that it's made in the traditional method, fermented in the bottle. And although there are many different sweetness levels of cava, brute, brute reserve, secco, semiseco, or dulce, mostly it's dry, just like champagne. It's renowned for its softness, and it's also much less expensive than champagne. Carver was instantly recognizable. If you're drinking stars, then why not brand your drink with a star? That's exactly what Carver has done. In 1972, Spanish wines were branded with different symbols according to their method of production. Carver had a four-pointed star rather than a circle or a triangle for other sparkling wines. It's a voluntary court mark, but it's very helpful for consumers to recognize. Inevitably, stories evolved in the myths of time, which have romance but lack truth. Time to sort out that fizz from the fiction. The first myth to bust is that it's not called Carver because it's aged in a cave. In fact, Carver means cellar just like in French where cave is a cellar, and while your cellar may be in a cave, it probably isn't. But it's appropriate that the name reminds us that Cava is suitable for ageing, something that its other nearby fizz cousins can't really do. Although given the heat in Catalonia and the natural lack of acidity in the grapes, the ageing potential for carver is a little limited. Carver was recognised as a name for Spanish sparkling wine made in the traditional method in 1970. The second myth to bust is how Carver started. Some say Spanish cork salesmen sold corks to Champagne, observed the methodology of making Champagne and took it back to Spain with them. While we can't be sure that it isn't true, it seems unlikely given that it was the Portuguese that grew and sold corks. We do, however, know that the Spanish wines were taken to Champagne both to sell and uh, to improve Champagne wines, but this was before the principal fizz-boom happened, and while Champagne was still concentrating its efforts on making a decent red wine. So the chance for information swapping was there, but the timing seems off. Alternatively, it's been suggested that after the outbreak of phylloxera in Champagne, and the spanish are keen to remind us that phylloxera outbreak began in france the champenois were determined not to lose their market and so gravitated south to catalonia which was then phylloxera free and planted chardonnay and pinot noir there it is clear that phylloxera devastated most european vineyards including catalan ones which were then replanted with non-native red and white grapevines in the hope of avoiding phylloxera however traditionally As we shall see, Carver grapes are different from Champagne varieties. In fact, Spanish fizz production got off to a rocky start. The first sparkling Spanish wines were entered into a competition in Madrid in 1851. Unfortunately, it flopped, and it was 20 years before anyone tried to make Spanish sparkling again. But in 1872, three wines popped up in a competition in Barcelona, all made from Champagne grape varieties. So Carver has been made for almost 150 years, and for half of that time, there were only two significant producers, Cordonieux and Freshenet. Freshenet liked Chardonnay and other imported grape varieties, whereas Cordonieux preferred Catalonian grape varieties. These were Macabeo, This is a white grape, which is the base of most Carver blends. It has exotic, citrus, lemon curdy type flavours and stone fruit aromas and floral notes of bergamot and chamomile. So this provides the fruit. Parallada, a white grape which is intended to add softness. Critics might describe it as bland. Interestingly, it has so little acidity that it turns litmus paper blue. It's grown in high vineyards where the grapes are picked late and unfortunately its tightly clenched bunches are prone to rot. And thirdly, Zarello, a white grape with citrus and apple aromas giving freshness and acidity. This provides the structure. You'll notice immediately that all these grapes are white. Catalans prefer not to make white wine from black grapes as the Champenois do and it may be significant that these grapes were the grape varieties that already grew in the estates used by Cordonieux. Over time, they became the traditional grape varieties of carver, but chances are that they weren't specifically chosen for carver, but rather were just the grapes on hand. However, other varieties are used, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, both from France and frequently found in Reserva carver and red grapes that make rosé cava, so trepat, garnacha and monastral. And there's a hierarchy of cava quality which will be familiar. So there's cava, which has nine months bottle aging, so it's equivalent to a cremant. Reserva carver, which has 15 months bottle aging and is equivalent almost to a non-vintage champagne. And Gran Reserva, which has 30 months bottle aging And this is a declared vintage, but is slightly less than the minimum ageing requirements for vintage champagne. And as we'll see, there are proposals for champagne length ageing in the pipeline. Rose carver is bled. That means that it's made in the Seigneur method. You remember, that's when the red grape skins have contact with the wine and tints it pink before it being bled off. And so there's no blending of red and white wine permitted, as happens in champagne. But perhaps the Catalan's greatest contribution to the sparkling world was the invention of the gyro palette. You remember how Verve Clicot revolutionized champagne production by better riddling. She reputedly chopped up her dining table and made it into a leaning pupitre into which she put bottles of champagne upside down so that the bottle lees would collect in the neck. That was a brilliant innovation for its time but it still required someone to turn the bottle for three weeks, a quarter turn each day, to gently encourage the bottle ease into position. It was long, boring work, which incurred repetitive strain injury and left champagne workers staggering around Epinay with arms positioned like so many Tyrannosaurus. Well, the Catalans took it one step further. They created a metal cage into which 504 bottles could be stacked the cage is then loaded onto a machine called a gyro pallet, which gently tips and turns the whole cage about two degrees every three hours day and night until the bottle ease was riddled into the neck of the bottle. It's more accurate than doing it by hand, gentler and also faster. So it's nine days instead of three weeks. Interestingly, champagne houses still often show tourists some pupitres and suggest that their wine is riddled by hand, as if that was a qualitative step. Hand riddling really isn't. Amusingly, at Mer de Chandon, tourists are told about hand riddling while the gyro pallets are clearly in their sightline. Given the stratospheric amounts of Moet produced every year, it's manifestly obvious that gyro pallets are used, and it's not usually a good idea to try and hoodwink a consumer. But Back to Carver. As with other fizz phenomena, the curse of popularity has hit Carver and now threatens to destroy it. Many producers who want to focus on premium quality fizz want to distinguish themselves from the cheaper mass produced image of Carver, so there's been a boom of new designations, and there are just far too many. As matters stand, a Carver man could call his wine any of the following. First, the generic, Spain-wide, quality sparkling wine. Or, the brand Carver, Or, the Dio Penedes designation. This domain of origin is only 30 years old and covers 100,000 acres of vineyards. Or, since 2013, classic Penedes. And this was the first breakaway producers group who Considered they produced superior quality carver. Or, since 2017, Carver de Parahe, meaning Carver from the site. It's a denomination for individual plots producing brute carver with longer aging of 36 months on the bottle lees. Or, since April 2018, Copinat. This was launched initially by six producers and aimed at a stricter and terroir-driven designation within Penedez, resulting in a consciously grown, fairly paid and high-quality wine. The stricter rules include things as being 100% organic, a marketing initiative mimicking Prosecco's efforts, 75% of the grapes being from the vineyards owned by the producer, which effectively bans buying in base wines or Sourlatte bottles from other producers or cooperatives. A minimum price for grapes, which is higher than the market price because Carver producers complain that they're struggling to make ends meet while Champagne producers drive Mercedes. A minimum ageing of 18 months and a focus on Spanish grape varietals with French varietals limited to 10%. The problem with these rules is that the big three producers can't comply. The ban on buying base wines particularly hurts. Corpignat producers would ideally prefer to call their wines Carver Corpignat, but this is being blocked by the three giant Carver producers, Frégenet, Connau, and Garcia Carrion. But all these different designations for Spanish sparkling wines are an absolute nightmare. Would-be Carver buyers are baffled, and a confused consumer doesn't buy. They buy Prosecco instead. So, how has Carver responded? By making yet more confusing new rules for aged Carver. So, in the future, young ordinary Carver will be unaffected, but older, that is, higher quality Carver, will be organic, will be aged longer, will have to come from vines that are at least 10 years old, will start secondary fermentation later. Hmm, well, that's a lot for the consumer to bear in mind as they casually browse the supermarket shelves and try to remember the minutiae of all six different designations for Spanish sparkling wine. Carver says it has an answer for that. It's planned a big PR campaign in 2021 focusing on Carver and food pairing. Well, that should sort it out then. But if you'd like a heads up on the food pairing, the top tips with Carver are savory snacks so roasted or salted nuts and olives, retro vol revisiting the 70s, garlicky prawns obviously, fatty fish like salmon or perhaps more surprisingly spiced charcuterie and inevitably manchego. Spaniards drink cava all the time but especially at their Christmas Eve dinner and not necessarily as an aperitif but usually after dinner with sweets and for once, this is a fizz where the Brits are not the biggest export market. Germany drinks most carver. In fact, for every two bottles of carver consumed by a Spaniard, seven are consumed by a German. Carver is a really promising fizz. It's well-priced and appeals to champagne drinkers, but the labeling is chaotic and alienating. Unless they find consensus soon, The future of Carver looks rocky. So, anyone for pudding? Phylloxera is a louse from America which feasts on the roots and leaves of vines, killing them. Vines in the USA are resistant. The roots exude a sticky sap that gums up the louse's uh, gums. And no one has ever found a control or cure for phylloxera serious prize money is still available awaiting anyone who can. Victorian botanists collected vines as specimens from the USA and brought them to Europe while aspiring American vignerons tramped across the vineyards of Europe in their muddy and literally lousy boots looking for promising clones to take home. Contamination was inevitable. The phylloxera louse Piggybacked on the vines and the mud and then munched its way across European vineyards, so that, for example, 70% of all French vineyards were infected and had to be grubbed up and burnt. It was a plague that overall claimed nine tenths of Europe's vineyards, and desperate vignerons tried all sorts of quirky ideas to fight it, including burying a live toad in the vineyard to absorb the poison. It didn't help and it upset the toad. Only by grafting European vines onto American phylloxera resistant rootstock could this disaster be managed and there's still no cure or treatment and now most vineyards in the world are grafted onto phylloxera resistant rootstock. However, there are special little pockets of the vine growing world that remain phylloxera free. Chile, Protected by being trapped between the Andes and the ocean. Australia, protected by being an island. And closer to home, Riesling in the Mosul, because apparently the Laos cannot survive the slate, and the volcanic soils of Sicily are similarly inhospitable. A few other individual vineyards, usually walled, survive, but on balance, the Laos won. So there we have it, Fizzerati. We've explored the nooks and crannies of Carver, a great wine with terrible labelling. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next Friday when we'll be exploring festive traditions. Until then, may your wine, like your wit, be sparkling. Chin, chin.